we are in awe of you tonight, Lord. When we think of your goodness, of your mercies, of your loving kindness, of your tenderness, when we think of your faithfulness, when we think of what you have done for us, Father, we just bless you. We pray that your spirit will bring us understanding that every iota of doubt and unbelief that resides in us, that we receive the help to manage that infirmity, to dispel every doubt about who you are and what you represent and what you've done, your finished work that is perfected. God, we thank you tonight that Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, is the author of eternal salvation. He went to that cross once and for all to perfect everything that concerns us. Our heads and our minds may not understand it. We may not comprehend it. But Father, you did it. And that settles it. And we join together with the hosts of heaven tonight in salutation to the great God of the universe. We say, Lord God Almighty, holy, 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 unto your name, we bless you. We praise your name forever. He said, this salvation that we have, even angels looked into it. And the prophets of old that prophesied it, did not comprehend it. So like David, we said to you, what is mine? Why are you so mindful of us? Why do you continue to visit us in spite of all the things that entangle us? So we marvel tonight. We thank you for your love. We receive that love. We embrace your love tonight. We embrace the length and the breadth and the depth and the height of your love that surpasses knowledge. We embrace it tonight. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for blessing us. And we thank you for revealing yourself to us day by day by day by day. Indeed, the path of the righteous is as a shining light that shines more and more unto the glorious perfect day. And so, Father, we thank you. We bless you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, thank you, guys. Amen. Welcome tonight to day number 10 as we go to John chapter 10. I don't know about you guys, but it's been a fantastic journey for me. And I just pray that this will not be an exercise in just dieting, but that the reality of the Son of God will be made real in all of our lives in Jesus' name. And that we will come to a place of greater experience in who he is. I just want to encourage us as we read, as we read at home, in between these times that we get together, get other translations that you're not as familiar with and read with a set of new eyes. Because over the last month, I'm discovering things that I thought I knew. And these things are looking at me straight in the face and, say, and it's causing me to go back and say, wait a minute, did I just read that? You know, when the Bible talks about how Jesus answered it, I'm answering the it, I-T, the it, I'm, I'm saying, so what, is, is that real? 
and I'm having to go back and read again and research and, and search, and I'm saying, wait a minute, have I always seen this like this? So I'm saying to you, don't, don't just take the scriptures for granted. There's a sense in which being familiar with the scriptures, we read into the scriptures. And then you're asking yourself, how did you derive that conclusion? How do we get here? Amen? John chapter 10. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door, he who enters by the door, is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hears his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Now let me just stop there. Over and over in different passages, Jesus will use metaphors to convey a message to his audience. And it is not unusual that he would pick a metaphor that he felt they were most familiar with. He would use farming language. He would use fishing language. And in this case, he's using animal kingdom. And in particular, the metaphor between a shepherd and a sheep. Because he expected for them to understand it. Remember John chapter 1 verse 29. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So he expected that these people who are so... Uh, to, for which animal kingdom, uh, sheep rearing, uh, lamb sacrifices was such an intricate part of their life for years that definitely they will know a thing or two about shepherding and sheep. And in particular in this case, from last night, remember, the blind man was cast out of the temple or the synagogue. So now he comes back in John chapter 10. Using that as a backdrop, this guy has been cast out. He now says, he who does not enter the ship full by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. Directly speaking to those leaders who had presumed a role and a place of authority. They have presumed a, a, a place of custodian over the sheep of God. And Jesus wants them to know, if those guys have not come in through the door, they are presuming to be something that they are not. Are, are you following me? And so, in order for us to understand what he's saying to them here, we need to understand somewhat the lifestyle of a shepherd and a sheep back in the day. Whenever the shepherds were stationary, well, let, let, no, 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 not stationary, Whenever they were in a village setting or in a city setting, they had what they call communal sheepfold. A communal sheepfold could be oh, a large enclosure, usually with walls around it about six to seven feet high, and just one entry into that sheepfold. But in the communal setting, several shepherds will bring, will bring their different flocks and all the flocks will be in that one communal fold. Are you following me so far? 
if there were five shepherds, there would be five flocks. And all five flocks lived, slept together in that communal environment with walls all around it. And there was only one entry into the place. And those shepherds coming together will have maybe, they will have a porter, a door porter, who will be at the entry. And what will happen is, if shepherd number one came tomorrow to lead his sheep for grazing, there was a unique calling by that shepherd, a song or a calling. And when he made that call, all of the sheep that belong to him will hear that particular unique call and immediately begin to follow him and he leads them out. There was no question whatsoever that a shepherd would come and make a call and a different flock from a different shepherd following them. That never happened. So each one of these shepherds had their own unique call, their own unique song or language that they would speak out. And as they spoke it out, each one of the sheep will hear it and begin to respond to that call and walk out following the shepherd. So Jesus is saying here that the sheep or the shepherd calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him for they know his voice and that they will never follow the voice of a stranger. I think at this point it's very important, it's very good to be able to bring in side by side here Samson 3. David, who also tended sheep, understood that language, understood that whole thing very perfectly. And when we read that psalm, everything we just read here is born out in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, he says. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides the still waters. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. He restores my soul. Yea, though I walk through the valley and the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Why will you not fear? For thy rod and thy staff comfort me. There's no need to fear. Why? And look at, look at what Jesus said in Genesis chapter 10. That last part of verse 3, he leads them out. So the shepherd never at any time just got the shepherd and told the sheep, go. No. The shepherd always leads the sheep. The sheep only follow the trail of the shepherd. Always. So we see the corroboration between here and Psalm 23 when David says, he leads, he leads, he leads. Very consistent. Now, you also need to understand how a shepherd or the tools or the equipment of a shepherd. Because of how precarious this job was, because at any given time, they are leading, oh, God knows how many sheep, 60, 100, 200 at a time. And he's in the front. So every now and then he needs to look back and make sure all of them are following him. And in particular for the younger ones, the lambs, when they're still young, they are learning to follow. It's not automatic. They are learning to follow the master's voice and the shepherd's voice. Every now and then, someone will struggle behind or stray away. So for that reason, the shepherd had a tool. He had a set of things he carried along with him, not just a tool, a set of things. One of them is a rod. And you know in scripture, the Bible talks about the rod of correction. Another one is a staff, which is just used for cost correction. Another one, he has a pouch, 
and in that pouch, he has his stones. Hello? Now you can appreciate David and Goliath. Because whenever the sheep goes astray and is far away from the shepherd, he didn't have to run to chase the sheep. He just got his sling and just fires one. But they are so accurate that the thing will land right in front of the nose of the sheep. And this sheep had enough sense to know when the shepherd throws such a stone at you and lands in front of you, it's a precaution that you're getting too far out, out, of, out, of, out of line. You need to turn around. So you can see that David, having done this for so many times with sheep going astray, when he faced Goliath, it was, no, it was only a challenge. When you and I read the Goliath story, you say, wow, just one slingshot, bam, the guy's head. He's had a lot of practice. Tending sheep day by day by day by day. Those sheep every now and then will go astray, and he's always had to bring them back in line. So he's had plenty of practice. Now, we are told, shepherds, even till today in Israel, will tell you this, what I'm about to tell you now. Now, the Bible did not write this down. But I find it interesting that a few minutes ago, the praise team just sung the song about brokenness. 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 Uh-huh. Okay, all right. That's where my choir uh, thinks stops. <laughs> just two words, I'm, I'm done. The point being, every now and then, these sheep or lambs will get so far, consistently, determinately going astray. The shepherd would have hauled a few stones, stop him, bring him back. Tomorrow they'll do it again, again and again. This particular guy is constantly giving the shepherd problems. By constantly going astray, constantly getting lost, constantly getting rebuked, constantly being brought back into the fold, and constantly determined that tomorrow I'll do it again. In such a case, he leaves the shepherd no option but to employ the ministry of the rod. In which case... Just simply get the very tender leg of the sheep, knock it a little out of socket, and by so doing, the sheep is no longer able to walk. So what happens at that point? He, as a good shepherd, great shepherd, takes on the responsibility of carrying that sheep upon his neck, back and forth and back and forth. You see, he's not just carrying the sheep because he likes to carry sheep. He's carrying the sheep because out of that carriage, a bonding begins to develop. That sheep begins to learn that, in fact, this shepherd loves him. That what the shepherd has done is not against him. It's not to destroy him, but to help him to get proper perspective. Now, you can appreciate David in Psalms 119 when he says, Until you afflicted me, I went astray. (laughs) He's talking from experience. He understands that every now and then, those whom you love, you must chasten. Because if you do not chasten them, they will run amok and bring you worse displeasure on a long term. So it's best to have short-term pain to avoid a long-term displeasure. I just wonder tonight, how many of us are sheep here are walking on with broken legs? I wonder tonight, How many of us, because of a dogged determination to go astray, away from God's plan and purpose, out of love, even though he himself is crying and saying, oh, Greg, I don't like to do this, but that's the only thing you know. 
<laughs> to just make sure. <laughs> and it nurses you back to wholeness and to health and to healing. So that's the, that's, that's the daily lifestyle of a shepherd. So they have a rod, they have a staff, they have the sling, but they also have the oil that they carry. Because you see those sheep, their ears in particular, attract insects. And so the shepherd from time to time will make sure he anoints them on their head. Now you appreciate what David said, thou anointed my head with what? And my cup what? Runs over. Because as a sheep, a shepherd's job, he anoints their entire head. And so that any insect that's flying around you, the oil, the odor, or the aroma emitted by the oil, dispels them or repels them. Very much like mosquito repellent. So God has my head and your head anointed with oil on a regular basis as we spend the time in his presence and eat of his word and give him praise and worship and fellowship with him. We release an unction within us that dispels demons, that dispels evildoers, that says to them, this is no, no go area. Amen? So Jesus was taking the time here to explain this thing to these guys so that they can catch a picture of the fact that this guy you guys just sent out of this synagogue and bring him to my fold. And you guys who think you have the right to lock people out of God's house, you guys have not even entered because to enter, you must come by me. Amen? But unfortunately, according to verse 6, they didn't understand. Now, look at verse 7. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the ship. Now, it's interesting. It's very interesting to see that even though Jesus explained this to them for the first, uh, the, the first time, they didn't get it. And the Bible says, he tells them again, you and I can learn from that. If I give you an instruction once or twice and you don't get it, there's a tendency for me to get frustrated. What is your problem? Are you deaf? Can't you hear a word? You don't understand English? But Jesus didn't take that attitude. And it's amazing, all through the scriptures, God repeats himself over and over and over. Why? His interest, hear this, church, God's interest is never for anyone not to make it. Ah, I'm about to say something now. Do you not know the Bible says that God does not wish that any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of his son? Ezekiel says, God said in Ezekiel 33, he has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. None whatsoever. I'm just prepping you for what I'm about to say now. Nobody in hell was sent there by God. God did not send anybody to hell. <laughs> I'm not playing with you. I'm not, I'm not playing with your minds. Jesus said it clearly, John 3, 17. The world is condemned already. Not because he condemned them. But because they chose not to believe. So every man or woman that's in hell made that choice. They made a choice when they chose to disbelieve what God had done. So God didn't send them there. They went on their own. They bought their own ticket and made their own journey. And even while they are there, God loves them. For God so loved the world. You can't argue with that. So every individual who chose not to believe God, when they made that choice not to believe God, they chose hell. So now Jesus says in that verse 8, let me make sure I'm in the right verse, verse 7. 
He said, most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Let me just stop right there for a minute. You see, I told you that in this communal ship sheepfolds, there were no doors. No, no, no. There, 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 are, there are entrances. There's one entrance. But there's no, yeah, there's no door like that. So there is an entrance, an entryway through which you can go in. But there was no physical door. If that's the case, then why is Jesus saying, I'm the door? Because every shepherd that kept a sheepfold at night will lay down across the entry and thereby become the door. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Folks, we are going to see a magnificent, incredible, majestic Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that you stick through with this message. You understand why Jesus alone deserves the glory, the honor, the praise, and the adoration. He says, I am the door. Recalling their mind to what the shepherds did. They lay across the entry, which means in order for anyone to get through that sheepfold, You are going to have to deal with Jesus. So if any sheep attempts to get distracted or to stray away from the fold at night, the only way for you to go will have to come to that entry and guess who is laying at the entry. Not just the shepherd, please. When you say just the shepherd, you don't understand. It's the chief shepherd. The good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd. So you cannot get out of there unless you contend with Jesus. So he's telling these Pharisees and leaders, said, listen, you guys don't understand. I am the door. Not only is there a door, but I am the definite article, the door. There are two doors. And then he goes on to say, if you come in by me, you will be saved. But not only are you going to be saved, you're going to go in and out and find pasture. Why are you going to find pasture? Because I am the one leading you to it. You don't have enough sense to know where the pasture is. But I can tell you on a day-to-day basis, glory to God, especially in this hour of global warming, climate change and all this, you don't know where the pasture is. But when I lead you out and say, let's take, this, let's take a walk in this direction. I don't care what was there yesterday. When I get there today, there will be pasture there right there for you. Oh, I'm the door. Let me just go back there for a, a second. Did you know the risk the shepherd puts himself in to make himself the door to the sheepfold? Did you know how many people are trying to steal your sheep? Oh my God. Somebody give this man a dollar for me again tonight. This guy is quickly, please. <laughs> Hallelujah. He said, That's where the light has gone. You are ahead of me, but you're right. Thank you. That's a dollar right there. Let me go there for a minute. No, seriously. It's, it's, it's talking serious business here. Now you can go to First Samuel chapter 17. Now you can see what David is saying. Goliath is threatening Israel. He's hearing all the tongues and all the intimidation of Goliath against Israel. And he says, who is this uncircumcised for listening? Who is he? They told him the story. He said, oh, you guys don't know anything. Saul, I'm able to fight him. He said, you're a young boy. Oh, you don't understand something. When I was tending my father's sheep, a lion came and took a lamb. Oh, my goodness. 
Oh, David, you just resign and just say, oh, wish, I wish God could do something about it. No! As a good shepherd, as a chief shepherd, as a great shepherd, he pursued the lion and took it out of the lamp, out of the mouth of the lion. He said, but that's not all. When a bear attempted the same thing, I didn't say, well, that was a lion, so I let the bear escape. No, he pursued the bear with the same vigor and retrieved it. What am I saying to you? David had to put his own life at risk to save his sheep. So Jesus is saying to them, I'm the door. Any danger that threatens the sheep first threatens me. But I'm willing to lay my life down because I know I'm on a mission mission for my father. I love them. I love them. I love them to the point where I'm willing to lay my life down. Do you understand what God has done for you? No, you don't understand it. Really, I'm telling you. And I'm not saying that to put you down or put me down. I don't think any of us in our tiny little brain can ever fathom the extent, the depth, the breadth, the height, and the length of his love. No, we use language to try to articulate it, but we have no clue. You don't have a clue. No, no. If you had a clue, you'd be running around and saying, you'd be telling everybody you know about this Jesus and the great news and what he has done. We have no idea. We are bankrupt in our vocabulary to describe him. We have no idea. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. I won't get too far tonight, but let me just, let me just, verse 16, I'm just jumping now. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. And they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Oh my God. People will tell you every now and then, the body of Christ needs to come together. We need to be united. We need to do this, we need to do that. Wrong. We just need to be. Being one flock, being in unity, does not necessitate anything on your part. It's an end result yes, sir. of several other things that's working together. Yes, so I don't just go out now and say, well, brother, we, 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 we ministry together, let's get together. That's, that's not how it happens. You, you don't manipulate or orchestrate things that's supposed to be a result of other things. Yes, sir. But Jesus is saying to us, there are other sheep that are not for this fold. Isn't it marvelous tonight as we are looking back 2,000 years? That Jesus had you and I, and I in mind. He's looking at these Hebrews, these Jewish people, and he's saying to them, How other people are not of this world? And they are coming. They will hear my voice and they will follow me. And as he's saying that, he's looking at them and through them, looking at me and you, even right now. Talking about the Gentiles, the non Jewish world, Jesus was saying to them, You guys have, you have not seen nothing yet. You know? I mean, you are casting a blind man out of your synagogue. Yeah, you see nothing yet. I have other people who will annoy you more than a blind man and they are going to be part of this fold. They will hear my voice and they will follow me. What are you going to do then? There will be one flock and one shepherd. There are some very radical things that's going on through my mind that I'm praying about. About this verse. I can't share them now. They are unlawful. But look at verse 17. Therefore my father loves me because I laid down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take again this command I have received from my father. Whoa. When I got to this point, I had to get up, walk up and down my basement, 
raise up my hands and just say, God, you are too much. And hopefully, when I finish explaining this to you, you probably will feel the same way. You know what God's done? He made the great shepherd become a sheep so he can become a shepherd again. Let, let, let me use a contemporary example. I wrote it down so I don't, I don't mess it up. In 1925, February 24th, in New York City, there's this doctor called Dr. Evans Keat, K-E-A-T. He's had 37 years of medical practice in New York City. He was an internal medicine doctor. And he specialized on dealing with intestinal pains. And he came up, he, he, he developed a procedure that if he had intestinal pains, which at that time was treated through surgery called appendectomy, and in that surgery, they put you totally to sleep to do it back then. Full anesthesia, total sleep. So he came up with an idea. He said, you know what? I can give local anesthesia whereby the patient will not have to be put totally to sleep and in two days, they can recover and move about their business. All the medical community said, wow. After an argument back and forth, they looked at the procedure, they looked at the a thesis, and everyone applauded and agreed that in fact this will be the better way of doing surgery for that particular condition. So they all agreed, but they were not convinced. And the reason they were not convinced was because on paper, everything looked good. They had no guinea pig to try this on. Therefore, the thesis remained in the atmosphere of it looked good. Until one day, this doctor himself had the same pain. True story. And he said, wait a minute, I have this pain. I know the treatment. And since I'm the one that authored this new anesthesia, and nobody, they will not allow us to ever practice this because nobody has ever done before. So he now chose to become his own patient. He gave himself a local anesthesia in that area and did the entire surgery by himself. And the thing was so successful, it became a remarkable thing in science. And from that day forward, they accepted the thesis. Now the thing became, it's no longer a thesis, now it became a practical reality. Now they allow them to use local for such service from that day forward. What's the point I'm making? A doctor had become a patient in order for him as a doctor to be trusted again. So Jesus, in like manner, a shepherd, became a sheep who, after having laid his life down, picked it back up again. And in so doing, became a shepherd again. Why? So that sheep could trust him. That's the Jesus on your hand. Not just an intellectual person. He went through the process. He divested himself from being a shepherd. He became a sheep. How? He obeyed his father, followed his father's commandment, went wherever the father sent him. And part of that sending was to go to the cross. He went. And voluntarily, like that doctor, voluntarily injected himself, voluntarily laid his life down. And then picked it back up again. That's the Jesus that's now asking you and I to believe him. He is credible, you guys. This is not a myth. This is not just a story. Ah, 
Muhammad died. He could not even lay his own life down. He had to, they, it was taken from him. Yes. There is only one person who qualifies to be the dog. You see, let me just say this as we close. Sometimes we wonder in our humanity, why will God do this? Why will he go to this extreme measure? To redeem us. And then we look at ourselves and say, well, you know what? Bank, I don't think you deserve that. What makes you worthy of this kind of love that God has expended? Why will God, who was already satisfied, holy in heaven, even bother with pinning illu us? In spite of the fact that we will not do what he's saying to, for us to do. I, I, I do not say this boast, boastfully, but I thank God for the Old Testament background. Because it allows me to understand this. You see, when that worshiper comes, I'm, I'm, don't, don't go to sleep on me. When that Old Testament worshiper goes to the temple or the tabernacle and brings his lamb, he understands. Can you just squat a little bit, sir? Thank you. This is the lamb. This is a big one. <laughs> he understands the lamb is brought to the priest. And the priest, his job, his first job was not just to slaughter the lamb. No. He took out a fine tooth comb, examined this lamb. Look at the beard, the armpit, the legs, the arms. Make sure, looking for any blemish and anything that might disqualify this lamb from being slaughtered. He looked and looked and looked and looked and looked and having found nothing, he now proceeds to slaughter the lamb. Thank you, sir. Question. For that worshiper, his only responsibility was to bring the lamb. His spotlessness was never in question. He was never the one that was examined but the lamb. As far as the priest is concerned, he was not concerned about the condition of the worshiper. He did not want to know what sin you committed yesterday. He did not want to know what you did wrong. As long as the lamb met the criteria, spotless, without blemish, whole, that was all that mattered. And the animal was slaughtered. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ went through the hall of examination. Pilate examined him. He looked, chapter 23, verse 4. He examined him through interrogation. He looked up and down. And having looked and examined him, he announced to the world, I find no fault in him. And then he did it again. In verse 14 of the same chapter, he called the priests and the elders together. He said, you guys have brought this man for me to crucify, to pronounce to death. He said, but having examined him, I want to announce to you again, I find no fault in him. Therefore, this man should not cannot, should not be condemned to death. There is nothing in him that justifies being killed. But those Jews began to shout and cry, no, no, no. Crucify him. So finally said, you know what? Even though I found him to be no fault, however, because this is what you want, then you can have it. Why do we continue to call God a liar? It is not me or you that is under scrutiny. If you can ever believe that, Every time heaven looks at us, he looks at his son. And his son, I can just picture in my mind's eye, gives Papa a nod. Daddy, 
is covered. I am telling us, if we'll come to this table with open mind, you'll be amazed at what you'll learn about what Jesus did. No, it was not just going to a tree and just dying. It's a whole lot more than that. That's why, with authority, he can tell those guys, I am the door. No man takes my life. I lay it down and pick it back up. The power of life is in me. That's the Jesus that's inviting us. There are many more things I need to say, but time has gone. It is in that authority, he now says, and I cannot develop that tonight. Verse 27. Verse 25. I just read, Jesus answered them, I told you, you do not believe. The works that I do in my father's name, they bear witness of me, but you do not believe. Because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. Jesus didn't mention just one hand, two hands. His hand and his father's hands. I'm not going to go anymore tonight. Because if I open that kind of womb, I need, I need 20 minutes. But I'm challenging every one of us. Need to go back and read the scriptures. And don't read into the scriptures, but read from the scriptures. Hallelujah. Do we know that song, Blessed Assurance? Can you sing it? Can you guys try that? Jesus is mine. Oh. Of glory divine. Ha! Purchased of God. Are you hearing me? That spirit was in his blood. Yes! This is my story. This is my story. This is my song. My song. Praising my what they're saying? Do you guys have a blessed assurance? The way you guys are singing, I don't believe that you understand what Jesus has done for you. No, seriously. Really, I don't don't really, I mean. I'm not sure that you know what Jesus has done. It is the 